Hello everyone, I'm so excited to be sharing my story today with you guys. I hope that it will, you know, you'll go through the journey with me and you will be inspired by my story as well. Um, I've been listening to IVF Tales and I want to say thank you so much to IVF Tales for letting me be on this podcast and share my story. Um, it's really helped me through my IVF journey and I want to be able to do the same for other individuals listening to this podcast today. So let me start off by talking about how I met my husband. Um, No, actually before that, did I always want to be a mum? Well, yeah, I absolutely always wanted to be a mum. I don't think I really thought about kids though until I guess I got married. I knew that I wanted to be a mum someday but it wasn't sort of this like lingering thing where it was sort of like the thing that I wanted in my life very badly I was very focused on my career I was really focused on traveling I met my husband I guess like somewhat late um at least according to my culture we got married when we were about 30 um so yeah kids were not something you know we were really rushing for um and we my husband also has a medical condition um, where he has to take some medication. So we were told that we're not supposed to be trying while he's on that medication. So we were really just in no rush and we, we decided that we'd just wait just to make sure everything's clear and we're all good to go. But, but um, something I do kind of want to talk about and, you know, some of these things are taboo to talk about and especially in my culture and this is something I hold close to my heart and I didn't tell, you know, I didn't tell very many people about experiencing this but I think it's so important to know because um, so many women go through something like this. So I think this was just before hubby and I got engaged. I might have been 27 years old. We were being really silly. Um, Please use protection, guys. Please use protection. And I know you know what's coming. But hubby and I, you know, we were in love. We were passionate. And we definitely got down to business. And one thing led to another. And before I knew it, I found myself pregnant. I didn't actually know I was pregnant. I thought there could be absolutely no chances at all given him being on the medication and that's kind of what we were told. So, you know, it was really sort of like a medical marvel. But yeah, I found myself pregnant and I didn't, you know, I missed my period. It had been about a week or two since I missed my period. Um, And I was just like, you know, there's just absolutely no way. It's probably just delayed because I'm stressed or I'm exercising more. Anyway, hubby kind of like pushed me into taking a pregnancy test and to my absolute shock and despair, I'd have to say, I saw those two bloody lines that I, you know, since that day had been pining to see again for several years. Um, But yeah, I saw those two lines and I was just an absolute shock and I just broke down crying just thinking about... (sighs) what do I do next? You know, I wasn't, we weren't ready for a baby. We weren't even, you know, we were just engaged. We were just kind of planning our wedding. Um, Not to mention culturally, this is a taboo thing to even have a child out of wedlock. So all this stuff was just going through my head and I sat hubby down and he's like, well, hubby at the time, fiance. And he was like, look, 
you do what's going to make you happy. If you want to keep this baby, let's keep it. If you don't, we've got to do something about it. So, you know, it was one of the hardest decisions I've had to make, but I know it was the right decision for me at the time because I just did not feel ready. And I know this is so bad to say, but part of me just wanted it gone. I just, I wasn't ready for it. I just, I can't, you know, I can't bring this child into this world when I'm not feeling ready to be a mum and it wouldn't wouldn't be fair. So we booked, we booked the abortion. We went to the clinic. Um, It was just a crazy experience. You know, there were girls in there crying. There were girls in there by themselves. And I was sort of just like, actually, I remember feeling kind of nauseous on the way there. And I was like, okay, well, great. This is kind of a symptom already. Um, but yeah, I got, I got there and I was just like, I just want this over. I just want it done. Um, so then they do this little scan before you go in, I guess, just to confirm that you're definitely pregnant. Cause I literally only did one pregnancy test and it was so long ago now. I don't even remember what I saw. Was it, you know, what kind of pregnancy test I used? I don't even remember that now, but yeah, I went in there and I, um, kind of, yeah, they, they did the ultrasound and they were like, okay, you're eight weeks in and we can see the pregnancy. And my husband was like, oh, can we just, you know, can we just zoom in a little closer and have a look at the the baby and look at the, the screen a little more? And it just, you know, it kind of really hit me at that stage. Um, and I was just like, wow, this is real. I'm actually pregnant. Anyway, next thing's Next, I was in a room and I was surrounded by a bunch of ladies wearing scrubs and something I could only imagine was like, you know, shower caps or something. And I was just like, oh my God, what am I doing here? Anyway, next thing's next. I was completely knocked out. I woke up on a bed. Someone had put all my clothes back on and I was drinking a cup of tea and I just completely hurled the entire tea I drank obviously the anesthetic or whatever it is they gave me did not sit well with me but after that I was feeling fine and I was like wow I actually went through that and my baby's gone and that was a really weird moment for me so I called my fiance at the time he was my fiance to come get me um and he was just like you feeling okay and I'm like yeah I'm good I'm all right just want a nap and something you know carby to eat Um, So I did that and that was the end of that. And we kind of, I guess, like we don't really talk about it much. We don't really mention it much. I have to admit there was this feeling of relief in me and I feel so guilty to say that, but that's really how I felt at the time. Anyway, this is all up until I started my TTC journey and I just realized what absolute hell and how hard it is to actually fall pregnant. And then I looked back at what I did and I, and I was just like, is that, is this punishment? Is this, you know, I just wasn't being very kind to myself. And I'm like, did I get punished for what I did? You know, is, is this karma? Is this, am I going through this because of that selfish thing that I did? But, you know, I look at it at the end of the day and I'm like, no, that was something I decided to do at that point in time. And And it was totally okay. And it's totally okay for anyone else who's going through this as well. So my trying to conceive journey started, I think, about a year and a half ago. 
maybe a little bit more. So we'd actually been trying for about six months. Um, nothing happened. Um, and luckily, because of Harvey's condition, we got a referral to an IVF clinic already from his doctor. So after six months and nothing was happening, I was like, let's just go see him. Um, so we went to Peter Erlingworth in uh, IVF Westmead. Um, he's a great, renowned doctor, um, physician in the space. Um, and he kind of just, you know, told us to do the AMH and the um, sperm test, which all came back absolutely fine. Hubby's was really good. No issues there. My AMH was in the average range for my my age. So, and I'm, I'm 34, turning 34 soon. I was 33 at that time. Um, so he pretty much told us, you know, you guys are all good. Just keep trying. You'll get pregnant. So then another couple of months passes by and nothing happens. And, you know, I was just like, Tubby, I don't want to waste time anymore. I'm going to be 34 soon. I just, I, I just want to get on top of things. And I'm such a type A personality that I just need to do the next thing. And if I want something, I will do everything it takes to get there. And I know a lot of the, the girls listening to this podcast today are probably feeling the same way. And that's why we're doing this journey because we we know what's what's achievable. We know science can help us. So I um, went back there and um, in in the attempts of doing an IUI because we had some some sperm frozen already. So we were like, okay, let's do an IUI. And um, so my specialist said before you do this IUI you need to do a high cozy which is basically this kind of scan um, where they insert dye into your fallopian tubes just to check if they're blocked or not so I did that scan in November of 2021 I want to say um, and the scan came back anyway during that scan I know a lot of girls talk about how how painful the procedure is um for me it wasn't too bad but that maybe that's because they couldn't actually get the dye into either of my tubes and that was an absolute complete stab in the back for me just like a slap in the face when they were like I'm sorry we're, we're trying really hard to push the dye through like we're actually putting a lot of pressure and both t- tubes are just blocked and I was like, what do you mean? What, what does this even mean? I mean, I mean, in my head, I was like, well, I've been pregnant before. So what the hell happened between now and that time? Um, and then the, the, it was just such an awkward, weird experience, like such a hostile environment. And they're just like, look, you can just try IVF. I'm sure something will work out. Just good luck. And they made me put my undies back on and I was out of there. Spent the rest of the day just sort of, you know, in in kind of, I wasn't feeling happy. I wasn't feeling sad. I was just feeling kind of nothing, sort of empty. Spoke to hubby and he was sort of like, let's just, let's just do IVF. Like, what are we going to lose here? Let's just, you know, we've got blocked tubes. Let's go back to the fertility specialist. Let's talk about our options. So went back to the fertility specialist and I call it a what the fuck appointment. Um, and I was like, what the fuck, you know? How can I have blocked tubes? I have not had, you know, an ectopic pregnancy. I haven't had any surgeries around my abdomen. There's nothing really that could cause me to have one of these. So what the hell is going on? 
And she's like, you know, sometimes your tubes can spasm during the procedure um, and it's not, you know, it's not something that your tube's like going through. So maybe they're just spasmed. And I was like, well, maybe it's not good enough for me. I need to know facts. One thing I left out actually was in that scan because they also identified that my uterus was kind of retroverted. Um, and apparently this is a completely normal thing. But then they said, this is, these are findings of endometriosis. So having that diagnosis, I was kind of just like, oh, yeah. And by the way, it's not sort of stage two, stage one endometriosis. Uh, uh, you're having your uterus kind of pointed towards the bowel is a stage three, four endometriosis. So having that diagnosis, <clears throat> I kind of looked back on my life and I was like, not once in my entire menstrual life have I had any symptoms of endometriosis. My periods were always on time. They were, you know, the standard heavy flow, um, not overly heavy, not overly light. Um, I didn't really have any pain. Just everything was just happening okay. And not to mention I'd been pregnant before. So my infertility specialist was like, look, there's one or two options here. There's a 20% chance that your tubes spasmed and everything's completely fine. Or it means you do have severe endometriosis and IVF's your best option. So again, hubby and I kind of, you know, re-collaborated and we were like, okay, what the hell do we do? And he's like, you know, do what you want to do. Do what makes you feel happy. Do what, what you think is right. I'm here to support you 100%. So I was like, look, I'm, I'm not going to put this, I'm not going to ignore this diagnosis of endometriosis. I've read I've read pregnancy rates with endometriosis. I've read miscarriage rates. And I was like, I'm going to do IVF. We're going to do it. So there begins my journey for IVF. Um, I'm going to skip a few things here because I don't want to bore you guys. But basically, I started IVF January of 2023. Yeah, so the start of this year. Um, and we got 11 eggs. Uh, which I thought was absolutely great until I found out people can get it like 20 or 30. But really, numbers don't matter in IVF. It's, it's, I mean, it really matters what you get at the end of it, the outcome of your embryos, really. So I've got 11 eggs and nine of them fertilized, which was amazing. And then after the nine, we had about five that were looking like they were going to grow into blastocysts. And at the end of it, we got four blastocysts and... And I was, you know, I was stoked. I was happy. I was like, fuck yeah, this is great. I'm so happy we've got four embryos. We decided not to do the genetic testing because um, our FS was like, you know, it's, it's uh, with your age, both of you are 33. It's not really, there's, the chances are low. You'll definitely have 50% chance of normal embryos here. And we've got four to work with. Um, so you're, you're, you're all good. So we didn't do the genetic testing. Um, and it was not to mention, it was just so fucking expensive. I'm, it was like $700 per embryo and I, I went through private. So I was just like, yeah, nah, I'm, I'm good. <clears throat> so we did a fresh transfer. That was my first experience with IVF. And I was just like, I can't believe I'm going through this. I can't believe I'm doing IVF. I've just done a transfer. I'm pregnant until proven otherwise and I just carried on with life um those two weeks were obviously hell um as you can all imagine you've been there before or maybe you're about to go through there I'm not going to sugarcoat it it was absolute hell 
Um, I did start testing. I started testing it about five days past and I didn't see, actually I did see a line. I saw like the faintest, faintest, faintest line. Um, but then I found out it could be um, the trigger shot just getting out of your system because trigger has HCG in it as well, which is also a mindfuck. Um, so then I tested again the next morning and nothing. I continued to test, nothing. Then eight days passed, I started to spot and I was like, holy crap, maybe this is implantation bleeding because I never spot. I always get my full flow. So I started to spot. Spotting was for two days. It was kind of like a rusty brown color. Sorry if that's TMI, but um, just to give you context. So I definitely thought it was implantation bleeding and I was so happy. I tested again. It was negative. I'm like, all right, maybe it takes a little bit of time. By 10 days past, I was fully bleeding and I was convinced this was my period. Even though I was on progesterone, my period decided to come. So I got the call from the clinic after my beta and they advised me that it had failed and I just bawled and bawled and bawled to my husband and he was like, it's okay, we're going to try again, we're going to keep going, we've got more embryos, let's do this again, you're going to get pregnant. So then round two comes around. Um, so we had some babies on ice, so we did an FET. Um, this time I did acupuncture. So I'd been doing acupuncture for about three, four months after. So um, my failed cycle was in Jan and I did another one in March. So yeah, done it for a couple of months. Um, and then I did, you know, the, the acupuncture session before and after, and it was crazy because my clinic is in Westmead and my acupuncturist was in the city. And my, it was my husband's birthday that day. And he drove me from where we live to the city, to the clinic in Westmead, back to the city and back home. And I was feeling pretty positive. I'd kind of asked my FS to change my protocol. I asked her to put me on letrozole after some research that I did just to absolutely time the ovulation. And I asked her to increase my progesterone dose to 600 um, micrograms per day. So I was on the 400 before, so this was three times a day progesterone. And she was like, yep, okay, cool. Let's try it, let's do it. One thing I wanna add here and I think is super important is please do your research. And if you feel like, something is going to work for you or you want to try something they're always going to tell you and this is something I feel about Australia in comparison to what I've heard about IVF clinics in the United States for example we have a pretty conservative system um, our doctors are very risk averse they're always against doing additional testing like I asked for an ERA the second time and then they were like nope and what for people who don't know what that is that's a endometrial receptivity analysis just to see if they're transferring on the right day that your your um, endometrium is actually receptive enough for the embryo and to host it they said no i asked for a laparoscopy they said no even though I had been diagnosed with endometriosis and it was potentially severe and I had blocked tubes. And yeah, so I was just, you know, I, I really, really encourage you to be your own advocate and just say, if you want something, just say, I want it. I want this protocol. I want to do this test. I want to do this 
you know, I want to do the surgery and, and just get it done or see, see another doctor, get a second, second opinion or a third opinion or a fourth opinion. Just do what's right for you because you're the one paying for these embryos. It's your embryos. It's your baby. It's your journey. So you've got to do what's right for you. So anyway, we transferred the other embryo. Long story short, you know, I did everything by IVF rule books. I wore socks all the time. I was eating pineapple core. I drank pomegranate juice. I didn't eat anything that wasn't warm or hot. Um, I obviously did the acupuncture. I, I, I ate McDonald's fries because apparently that's the thing you do on transfer day. I did absolutely everything and it, and it still didn't work. It still didn't work. So here we were again second failed one and this one hit me really hard because my period didn't come so it gave me false hope but I didn't test the entire two weeks and I was just convinced I was pregnant um because my period didn't come but that was just all the progesterone I was taking so after I got the call I was just absolutely upset and I booked in another what the fuck appointment with my doctor to follow up and she was like look, it looks like the endometriosis might be affecting it, or it might just be that you've, your, your embryo was, you know, chromosomally abnormal. There's a very good chance your next one will work. Um, we should just go ahead and try another one. And I was like, wait a minute. No, I'm not putting these precious babies through, through another cycle again, where we're doing the same thing. We've done nothing different. We haven't looked into my endometriosis. So what I did is I, I got a second opinion. I saw Dr. Michael Cooper. Um, he specializes in endosurgery and laparoscopies. Went in I, and um, I, I got an appointment with, with him pretty quickly and he booked me in for a laparoscopy after doing an ultrasound. Also, he did refer me to an ultrasound called Omni. Um, apparently, that's a ultrasound that specifically focuses on deep infiltrating endometriosis. Um, and they, it's a transvaginal ultrasound and it's, it's higher technology and it can look at where the endometriosis sites are. So I did this test, I did this scan, sorry, and they didn't really find too much endometriosis. So this whole thing around, I've got, you know, my uterus attached to my bowels and I've got stage four and my tubes are blocked. They said that they couldn't really find anything at all. So anyway, Dr. Cooper wanted me to go ahead with the laparoscopy and my laparoscopy was booked in and this was in May. So I've had failed transfer in Jan, failed transfer in March, and this was my laparoscopy in May. Laparoscopy, and uh, this was going against the advice, by the way, of my fertility specialist, but I was like, I don't care. I'm just going to do what I think is right for me. So I booked in the laparoscopy. Um, it actually went really well. They did find endometriosis, but they removed it. Um, I think it was around stage three. My tubes were not blocked. So this whole time I thought my tubes were blocked. Um, they weren't, they were absolutely not blocked. I was in that 20% where it spasmed. Yeah, so they removed it. My recovery was great and I, and I was feeling myself again and I was just happy that I was in a good place. So that brings us to July um, and in July I attempted another transfer. So uh, Cooper's recommendation was actually for us to try naturally for three to six months and he's like apparently trying naturally is a, a, a better quality pregnancy than IVF pregnancy so I didn't really quite look into that or think about it but we were planning to try for three to six months but after the first month we, th we tried and 
I didn't fall pregnant. I was like, nah, screw it. I'm going to go for IVF and do another transfer with my remaining embryos. So this time I did another frozen embryo transfer, just transferred the one. Uh, it was a good graded embryo. All my embryos were pretty well graded, so I was happy about that. But this time my endometrial lining thickness was the thickest it had ever been. So even before ovulation, it was about 11 millimeters, which is amazing. So it's feeling really good about that. And again, I had done my research and I was like, look, I want you to put me on Clexane and baby aspirin. So aspirin 100 milligrams dose or something like that, low dose of aspirin. I'd done a lot of research and I'd read that this helps with, um, you know, immune issues. Not that I'd been diagnosed with any, but I was like, there's something going on with implantation and it improves blood, blood flow to the uterus and it improves, it's supposed to improve implantation as well. She was against it and she was like, I don't think you need it. I think you should do a natural cycle. You don't need too many medications. And yeah, she's probably right. Maybe I didn't need the medications, but I wasn't going to take the risk. These were my babies. So... I went ahead, I started the Clexane, which was, I, I have to admit, my stomach looks like an absolute murder site. It looks like a crime scene. Clexane is the most painful injection and it just causes bruising everywhere because it is a blood thinner. But I did it. I did it from the day of the transfer. Um, my transfer went really well. Also on the day of the transfer, um, you're supposed to hold your pee like two hours in advance. Um, I couldn't do it. I was just like about to piss my pants so before my transfer five minutes before my transfer I emptied my bladder which you're not supposed to do but then lucky for me they were like it's still a clear vision we're still good let's let's just go ahead with it so they transferred that embryo took a picture of it and my two weeks started there so I did the clexane and the baby aspirin so then I got to this point after the one week I didn't test in the first week at all because I didn't want to put myself through that sort of mental pressure and um, the ups and downs I tried to just be as active as possible um, you know obviously not doing anything too crazy I just went for some walks caught up with friends I ate well you know I didn't eat anything that wasn't cooked I ate warm foods lots of soups um, lots of hot foods drank a lot of water no acupuncture this time. I decided not to do that because I felt like it was a waste of my money. People have different opinions about that. So um, maybe it works for you, but it, I don't feel like it helped me. Um, and I, um, another thing that I did actually was some fertility yoga before and after my embryo transfer. So um, especially this one pose that um, is called legs up the wall. So you basically um, push your bum up towards the wall and you put your legs up and then you just sit in that pose for about 10 minutes or lie in that pose rather for 10 minutes. Um, and that's supposed to help the implantation and the blood flow to your uterus as well from your legs to your, to your uterus. Um, so I did that and I would listen to some meditation and I just helped me feel really relaxed. Another thing I did was, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, that's basically all I did. I didn't really do anything different. I, I, I didn't go crazy on not eating sweets this time, like not restricting myself. I, I ate a balanced diet. And, and I mean, yeah, by, by the end of it, I, I, I did start to feel a few things here and there, but 
I also knew that progesterone can do it for you. Like one of my, I guess, um, one of the things I felt was I was at work one day and it was a pretty warm day and I was just feeling really cold and getting some chills and shivers. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. Um, I've never felt that kind of thing before. Oh, yeah. Another thing I did was I think around 10 DPO. So 10 days post ovulation, um, which was five days post my transfer. I'd have five, five day embryo. I actually um, did a progesterone test that day. Um, they asked me to come in for bloods and they said that my progesterone was at 53.7 or something. And I was just thinking, wow, that's ridiculously high. But I had no frame of comparison. I didn't know what my progesterone was at this point in time of my cycle the other two times I tried. So I didn't want to get too excited about it, but I knew it was kind of high. Um, that day I decided for some very absurd reason to pee on a OPK, so an ovulation prediction kit. And to my surprise, um, my ovulation prediction kit showed me that it was a positive OPK, which means that I had an LH surge. And I was just like, this is so crazy. Like, why would I be having an LH surge at this time? So I continued to do that for another couple of days. And obviously by this point, I was Googling the shit out of everything. And I had read that ovulation kits could be an early kind of predictor of HCG because they can't really tell the difference. And LH and HCG are very similar in their compositions and their compounds. So they kind of, you know, the ovulation kit sometimes gets confused between that and HCG. So I was like, okay, I'm seeing positives on my OPKs for about three or four days now. Um, that's a little bit crazy. But then I read somewhere that that happens before you get your period as well. So then I was like, all right, yeah, this definitely hasn't worked. I would convince myself this hasn't worked. I was crying to my husband and he's like, don't worry, we're going to try this again. We're going to get pregnant. You're going to be a mom. We're doing this. Don't give up. So then I was like, this time I don't want to wait till beta day to hear the news. I want to just get it over with. So on Sunday, the uh, 31st of July, I decided to do a pregnancy test with first response. Um, and within the three minute time frame, I saw a second line and it wasn't faint. It was absolutely strong. It was almost a dice dealer and I was just shaking I was shaking and I ran to hubby and I was like I'm pregnant I'm actually pregnant and we cuddled and it was the most amazing feeling ever and today I am about five weeks so I'm still super super early um and I've just done beta day um and everything's looking really good and I'm just praying that you know this is going to be a sticky baby but yeah, that's me and thank you so much for listening to my story and I hope I didn't bore you too much.